go 180 degrees in a different direction to February of 2021. February of 2021. You may remember it was, in many places, the coldest winter on record. Uh, Carol and I at the time were living in Dallas, and uh, it was definitely the coldest there. It got down to minus two, and we had unbelievable ice and snow, uh, just a really bad mix. I believe here in Houston, it got down to 15 degrees. It was one of the coldest weeks on record. And uh, many people across the state lost power. It was a really uh, traumatic time for many people. Fortunately, uh, even though many people across the Metroplex uh, were losing power, Carol and I never lost power. And so one night, while we couldn't go anywhere because everything was, everybody was iced in, uh, we were huddled in front of the fireplace watching a movie. And all of a sudden, I thought I heard something. And I said, Carol, turn the volume down. And she turned the volume down, and sure enough, I heard a sound that I hope I never hear again. Uh, we quickly got up and ran to the bedroom, and in the master closet, there was water pouring from the ceiling. We quickly jumped out and uh, ran to the, to the kitchen and up the stairs to the attic where our hot water heaters were, opened the door, and when we opened the door, there was a lake uh, to the top of the rafters, just, you know, the two by, two by eights were completely, the water was over the top of them. And as we were standing there just assessing, I mean, just in shock, assessing what was going on, all of a sudden that lake went away and we were staring into our master bedroom closet, just completely caved in all over the closet. Um, that snapped us out of our little dream there for a minute. And we ran back downstairs, grabbing trash cans along the way, Tried to catch as much of the water as we could. Quickly realized we couldn't move furniture out of the closet and getting clothes out of there. And the water was seeping under baseboards and other rooms of the house. And I kind of dodged the ice across the driveway, getting to our neighbor's house. Got him to come help me move furniture. And it was chaos. A peaceful night. All of a sudden became an unpeaceful night. And chaos seemed like it was everywhere. Well... We got his stuff, uh, as much stuff moved as quickly as we could and uh, turned the water off. The next morning, I got up and got out of the house for the first time in two days and carefully drove to Home Depot to get a shop back to start getting the water up. And after I parked and was kind of tiptoeing across the parking lot, uh, my phone rang and I pulled it out, saw that it was Carol. And I uh, assumed that she had forgotten something that she wanted me to pick up at Home Depot while I was there. And so I answered the phone and I said, hey, and on the other end of the phone, all I heard was a normally very calm person yelling, I smell gas, I called 911, the fire trucks are on the way to the house. They told me to get out of the house and I did that, but I didn't get a coat. I got the dog, but not a coat. Come home now. She didn't want something else from Home Depot. She wanted me to get home because she was standing in the neighbor's yard in her pajamas, holding a dog without a robe, and it was three degrees. A peaceful night turned into a stressful night, and it didn't seem like the next day was going to be that much different. 
Now, I know some of you, let me be clear, some of you have much, much worse stories that you could tell about the damage that water can do. I, I realize that. But even if you don't, all of you have a story that you could tell everybody else in the room about how all of a sudden a peaceful situation became completely chaotic. And a question hits you, something like this. Is peace ever going to return? Peace is something that we all need. It's something that we all want. It's something that we all search for. And yet, at times, it's just, it's just difficult to find. Um, we think that this particular job or this particular person or this particular number in my bank account will give us peace, and yet sometimes when we find that, we realize it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. If we're honest, most of us could say that we're still looking for more peace. Do you remember that the Bible says that there's such a thing as perfect peace? Now, when I think of the word perfect, um, I think of several other things. I, I think of... Um, what every major league baseball pitcher is hoping to pitch this afternoon. They're all hoping to pitch a perfect game, a game without any walks and without any hits. Um, some of you may be in the search for the perfect job where you can work with people that have similar likes and dislikes, where you can use your skills to the utmost. Some of you may be looking for the perfect home, the perfect house. Uh, my son is getting married in four weeks and he feels like he's found the perfect girl. And she's planning the perfect wedding so that they can start the perfect family. Some of you may be a little hungry. And you can't wait for me to finish. So you can go have the perfect meal. Which, if you're wondering where that is, just go to Lupe's and get the steak fajitas. All right? I'll, I'll solve that one for you. Um, the problem comes... When reality sinks in, um, this perfect dream, whatever it is, all of a sudden disappears. Um, people disappoint you. The stock market drops 15%. Um, pandemics, they do happen. Um, storms are inevitable. People have bad days. And in that moment, we have everything but peace. The search for peace is a cultural reality. I brought some stats with you to show you from the George Barna Institute. They just conducted the largest study in the history of that organization. They interviewed 15,000 18 to 35-year-olds, asking them about this very topic. What, what produces anxiety? What causes you stress? And here's what the study affirmed. 40% indicated anxiety about important decisions. 40% indicated fear of failure, creating significant anxiety. 36% feel major pressure to be successful. Multiple studies and research indicate that the pandemic led to loneliness and isolation. In fact, psychologists believe that these realities became more prevalent than ever, leading to heightened instances of depression. So despite being the most connected generation from a technological perspective, 
53% report that the biggest challenge they faced during the pandemic was their concerns for their own mental health. The search for peace is a cultural reality. And that really shouldn't surprise us because as students of God's Word, as, as believers in this book, we know that this book is full of stories. It's full of character studies. It's full of situations where something was going well and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Or this person had to go through long periods of, uh, of very stressful times filled with anxiety. For instance, think about Job. Job said, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. What about Elijah? Elijah, you remember him. He has this epic showdown with 850 prophets on top of Mount Carmel. And he wins. God comes through on Elijah's behalf. And Elijah immediately has all 850 of those prophets slaughtered. And as soon as the king of those prophets, Ahab, gets word to his wife, Queen Jezebel, what's happened to her 850 prophets, she says, get this word to Elijah. You tell Elijah that I'm going to do to him what he did to these 850 prophets by this time tomorrow. And you remember what Elijah does? He runs and he runs and he runs until finally he's exhausted. And here's what he says. It is enough. It's enough. Now, o Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Hannah, she was barren and other ladies made fun of her. The Bible says that she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. David, so many instances. We could, we could think of a lot. But at one point, the Bible tells us that David's mighty men, the, the men that had, had devoted themselves to him, were so frustrated with him and so angry with him that David overhears them say that they're going to stone him. And the Bible says that David was greatly distressed. I guess so, right? I'd be distressed too. Jesus in the garden prior to his arrest, asking the Father if there was another way to accomplish the mission, praying, sweating, falling to the ground with grief. And we don't have time to, to look at Joseph who was jailed for something he didn't do. Moses who wandered in the desert for 40 years. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet filled with stress and anxiety and grief. Paul, who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, uh, who was treated in many, many unfair ways. And Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, who we know struggled with grief. He struggled with anxiety and with fear because in 2 Timothy 1 uh, verse 7, we read Paul instructing him, encouraging him, Timothy, Paul hadn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. One of the many things I love about God's Word is how relevant it is to the situations that I face, to the people that I interact with, to the emotions that I have from time to time. I love the fact that it's so relevant. And today, I'm really glad uh, to have this opportunity 
to share my summer hit. Um, the verse that encourages me, that strengthens me, that at times gives me a kick in the seat of the pants, um, that reminds me of what God's promise for my life is. And you may have received a little card when you came in, so uh, you know where I'm going with this. But my verse is Isaiah 26, 3. I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trusts in the Lord forever. For the Lord your God, he is an everlasting rock. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. I'll add verse 4 because Pastor Jarrett's not here. He doesn't know that I used two verses. All right? My wife uh, knew that was my favorite verse, and he, uh, she had that framed for me. I have that hanging in my study at home so that most every morning I see that before I launch out into the day. It's just a great reminder, great perspective, great guidance for me about who really is in charge, who loves me more than I can ever imagine, uh, who promises to be a giver of peace that passes all understanding. Interestingly, we find this familiar verse in the opening stanza of a song. Isaiah 26.1 starts this way. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Isaiah has been focusing on future events when God rules the world from Mount Zion. But as chapter 26 begins, Isaiah addresses the present situation of the people of Judah. Most likely, the setting for Isaiah's encouragement was after the fall of Jerusalem, but before the fall of Babylon in 539 B.C. Judah had experienced the wrath of God and had been exiled to Babylon. And they now needed to trust God and wait in exile until God destroyed the wicked nation of Babylon. One Old Testament scholar that I read wrote, This is a highly theological presentation directed to the faithful who still experience the full weight of divine and human judgment. It appears that the people are facing an immediate problem, so they need to trust God for help. Let me say that again. It appears the people are facing an immediate problem, and so they need to trust God for help. That's something that all of us can identify with. Isaiah's song aims to help God's people develop confidence in him so that those who are righteous in Judah will be willing to wait and to trust in God's deliverance in the near future. The entire song really is a, a beautiful reminder to have confidence in God's ability to save his people and to defeat their enemies. So let, let's look at these first four verses. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God, he is an everlasting rock. Verses 1 and 2 begin, this song begins with a, a confident statement about what the righteous believe 
will happen. Not what has happened, but what will happen in the coming weeks or months as they wait for God to conquer Babylon and release the people who have been exiled, their family members, their friends. In the future, the residents of this city that's going to be rebuilt, the city of Jerusalem, in the future, this, the residents of this city will be known for, for two characteristics. The first one you notice there is that these people will be righteous. In other words, they will be known for their obedience to God's law, obedience to God's instruction. The second thing they'll be known for is their faithfulness. Do you see that in verse 2? They'll be measured by their, their loyalty to God's law. So they'll be known by their faithfulness and by their righteousness in choosing to go in the right directions that God has set up for them. Verses 3 and 4 continue with that same tone of confidence. The song states that certain people will have perfect peace. In other words, not everyone is going to have this peace. There are certain characteristics. There are certain people that will have it. Um, He describes these people as having a certain frame of mind, um, a certain perspective, uh, a certain focus that is steadfast. The ESV says that their minds will be stayed on him. The Christian Standard Bible uses the word dependent. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. The New Living Translation, I like this, it uses the word fixed, translating it this way. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The actual word that Isaiah uses implies an undeviating commitment to a person or to a conviction or to a purpose. It carries the idea of support or leaning on something, being dependent on something to hold you up. I told you earlier that uh, Garrett Hall is here. Garrett's one of our new residents, graduated from Baylor University in May, and will be beginning seminary uh, here in a few weeks. And uh, Garrett is working with a lot of our team, handling a lot of projects, as he has a practical application for what he's learning in seminary. And uh, one of the responsibilities that our residents have is that they got to go hang out with our students at camp. They went to senior high camp, they went to uh, middle school camp, they went to kids camp and helped a lot in those particular areas. And the kids obviously love that because they get to, to uh, spend time with people that are just a little bit older than them. And when Garrett got home, I asked him about camp. Like, man, what, did, what went great? What do you think we ought to tweak? What do you think uh, were some of the, the, the best parts of it from the, for the kids? Uh, was there anything that God did at camp that, that you, know, you couldn't explain in and of yourself? And he went through all of that, and then um, he said, Jeff, one of the things I learned was that when you're repelling, and I said, you, you went repelling? And he goes, yeah, we went repelling at camp. So we, when we went repelling, there's, there's two ways that you can repel down a cliff. One is uh, very intuitive. It's what you would think that you would do. You want to stay as close to something that's concrete and tangible as possible. And so you can go down the, the cliff holding on tightly to the rock. 
the problem with that is not only do you hurt your fingers and cut your fingers, but you also bang your knees all the way down. It hurts. But the best way to go down the cliff or go down the mountain when you're rappelling is to lean back into the harness. That's what the harness was intended to accomplish. If you lean back into the harness and let it do what it's supposed to do, then you can go down the cliff or the mountain without any pain. Similarly, Isaiah's song is basically saying that the people who are dependent, if they have a dependent perspective as opposed to an untrusting or proud or self-confident spirit, they will have peace because they trust in God. So what Isaiah is basically saying to us here is that you and I need to have a humble dependence that will create a peaceful trust in God's abundant strength. And this makes sense because as verse 4 states, God is like a solid rock that is eternally stable. Maybe this um, equation that you see on the screen will help you out a little bit. Now, for those of you that are about to head back to school, then you need to know that um, we're going we're gonna to be a while. I think y'all might have come out a little early. Um, <laughs> Bill scared me. Um, another way to look at this is, is this formula. Now, for those of you that are heading back to school and you may help, help uh, hate algebra, stay with me here. Okay, guys? Um, I, as I said, I'm from Tennessee, proud product of the Tennessee public school system, and uh, I didn't do so well in algebra. Um, but I think this will help. I think it will help you remember it. All right? So, so here we go. H stands for humility. For humility. Um, this character trait is the foundation. It's the critical ingredient. And as we've already mentioned, if you're prideful, thinking that you don't need God's presence in your life, then Isaiah would say that your search for peace, it's futile. Uh, humility sounds like this. Father... I need your perspective. I need your guidance. I want your help. Show me, lead me, guide me. I need your wisdom. If you've got your Bible open, look down at verse 9. Verse 9 says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly or diligently seeks you. Isaiah knew that his loving Heavenly Father was the source of true peace. And so, with a spirit of humility... He sought him. The D stands for dependence. Trust plus, excuse me, humility plus dependence. In other words, God, I'm looking to you because I know I don't have the answers. And that's where the Bible comes in. Your word, God says, uh, God's word says, your word is a, a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, every bit of it. And all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it. So when we're reading God's Word, we should ask, what does this Scripture say about my particular situation or my particular issue or 
my particular fear or anxiety or stressor at that particular moment. What does God's Word say? I'm dependent on God to speak through His living, active Word. That shows humility and that shows dependence. And humility plus dependence equals T stands for trust. Trust. When my perspective is one of, I know I need your help, or I want your insight in this struggle. Father, speak to me. Show me. Then I'm demonstrating humility. I'm demonstrating dependence. And a spirit of humility plus actions that demonstrate dependence equates to trust. That's what trust, that's what trusting looks like. It's our attitude or character combined with certain actions. As my trust grows, as I learn to listen, as I learn to process what God's Word says and begin to obey that, I learn to accept what His Word says instead of what I'm feeling or, or instead of what all of my emotions are screaming at any particular moment, then my trust multiplies. And guess what? As my trust grows, so does my level of peace. My peace squared, my perfect peace. Humility plus dependence equals trust, and trust equals perfect peace. This is my broken pipe. Um, I, I don't know if you can see the little hole in it. It's about a third of an inch long. It's not very big. About two days later, we were able to get a plumber to come to our house, and he repaired the pipe that had burst uh, during the ice storm. And when he came downstairs, he asked me if I wanted the pipe, which I thought was a weird question. What would I do with a piece of pipe? And I took it from him just to look at it, to just kind of be nice, because he'd asked me this question. And I said, that's a really small hole. And he said... Over 100 gallons of water came through that little hole in less than 10 minutes. And uh, then he said, words I'll never forget. It doesn't take much of a hole to create a big problem. And I said, excuse me? He said, it doesn't take much of a hole to create a big problem. I said, I'll keep the pipe. I wanted this tangible reminder of how easily or how innocently a little hole in my thought life could create a massive problem. Isn't that true? You see, the reality is, guys, we leak. We leak. Things that we know, convictions that we have, they can leak out over time and we stop being humble. We stop being um, dependent. We become less dependent. And therefore, our trust and our peace leak away. Our thought life is an incredibly powerful thing. It can lead us in dangerous directions. It can lead us to make unwise decisions. It can lead us to think things that simply aren't true. We can convince ourselves that God doesn't care, that God isn't present, that He's got other things to worry about, that we're all alone. Or it can lead us in positive directions, in healthy directions, in directions that line up with what God's Word teaches. For instance, 
Colossians 3.2 says that we are to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. That doesn't just happen. The word set, the verb set, the verb set is something that conjures up the idea of a choice that we make. I've got to choose to set my mind. I have to focus to do that. I have to determine to do that. Not just going to happen for me. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The verb renew is an active verb. Uh, It's not something that just happens one time. Sometimes it needs to happen throughout the day. Sometimes it can happen once a day, but my encouragement to you would be that it needs to happen at least once a day. Why? Because we leak. Um, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Then you will be prepared for action. Gird up your mind, prepare your mind, and then you'll be prepared for action. So once I've set, I've determined, I've focused in on things that this Word teaches, that God's Word wants us to hide in our heart, that God's Word wants us to you know, provide guidance for us to live by. And then I've renewed daily, consistently, um, giving my mind to Him, getting rid of the things that this world impresses on me so strongly and so creatively. Then, Peter says, I'll be prepared for action. Leaking causes us to do the opposite of what this song encourages us to do. This song encourages us to stay. This song encourages us to depend. This song encourages us to keep our thoughts on Him, to protect our minds. So let me share some ways that we, we can do that. Hopefully this will be super helpful, super, super practical to you. The first is to admit that you leak. Admit that you leak. Remember our formula. Our formula begins with humility plus dependence. We have to admit that we need to repair our leak on a daily basis. If we're not going to do that, then we're dead on arrival. Okay? Um, Turning a blind eye to this issue doesn't solve a cotton-picking thing. We say that? That's a Tennessee thing. Don't run from the fact that you leak. A prayer to prayer every day is, Father, I need you. Speak through your living, active word to me today. I want your perspective. I need your guidance. I recognize I can't do this on my own. Admit that you leak. Second is open up about your need for peace. Um, I hear myself referring to God in my prayers, and when I'm teaching or in counseling situations, I hear myself say that God is our loving Heavenly Father. I don't plan to say that. It just kind of comes out. And uh, I'm not sure why, but as I've thought about it, I'm glad that it does because that's who He is. He is our loving Heavenly Father. He does want what is best for us. He does promise to give oversight and guidance to us. And He uh, promises to provide a peace that passes understanding. It's beyond our explanations. Ask Him for peace. He knows we struggle here. As His children, we're carriers of His Spirit. And one of the Spirit's key attributes is peace. In fact, 
In Galatians 5, we read that he wants us to be filled with his peace. Listen, um, at times anxiety can be so high, so strong, so real, that you may need to talk to someone else about it. And I just want to say, that's okay. Um, As a church, we have two licensed professional counselors on our team. And we're blessed to have that availability to our church family. Um, There are other licensed professional counselors who have a biblical perspective, a Christian worldview that are in our area. We're all blessed to live in a major city where you can find godly Christian counselors when you need one to help you process fears and anxiety. Um, As Brett was talking earlier about the summit, it's coming up next Sunday night, for all of our life group leaders, let me give another quick reminder or encouragement for those of you that haven't found a life group yet. This is another great reason to be in a life group. Because in a circle, um, you get to talk, you get to share, you get to drop that smiley face mask and talk about what's really going on in your life. And you quickly realize there are other people that may have been through a similar struggle or they found a, 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 um, an anchor point or a handle that you can grab onto to help you through your particular area of anxiety or handle your particular fear. That's one of the many beauties of being in a life group. You don't have to go it alone. God's Word says that we're made in God's image. God is properly understood as three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. If we're made in His image, then we have some community gene inside our DNA. We're made in His image. We're made for others. There's no extra credit for being a lone ranger. Um, Let me encourage you to connect. Third, first, admit you leak. Second, open up about your need for peace. And third, we need to remember a few things. Okay? We need to remember a few things. If you've got a copy of God's Word, uh, turn with me to Psalm 143. If you don't, we're going to put this on the screen so that you can follow along. But we need to remember a few things. Psalm 143 is a great place to look to help us give a pattern for what we need to remember. The first thing we need to remember is who God is. Who God is. Psalm 143, verse 1 says, Lord, hear my prayer. In your faithfulness, listen to my plea. And in your righteousness, answer me. Um, Right off the bat, You and I, when we're going through a time of stress, when we're going through a time of panic, when we're going through a time of fear, if we've set our mind on things above and we've renewed daily, Peter says, then we'll be prepared for action. That doesn't mean that we're going to be flawless. It doesn't mean that we're going to have moments where we're just completely stressed out. But if we can remember to focus on who God is once we come to our senses and things settle down, We will be reminded that, according to verse 1 of Psalm 143, look at that. Lord, hear my prayer. In other words, God is merciful to listen. God is our ever-present help in time of need. And not only is He that, He is merciful. Do you see that? He is faithful. He's a promise keeper. He is righteous. He's going to lead us in right ways. He wants what is best for us. 
Um, remember who God is. Another thing we need to remember is we need to remember what He's done. If you look down in verse 5 and 6, Psalm 143, we read these words. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I reflect on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. I'm like a parched land before you. I remind myself of what he's done. It's wise, church family. It's wise to remind ourselves of his promises. It's wise to remind ourselves of his character. It's wise to remind ourselves of the blessings that he's given us through our life. Once we remember who God is and then we focus on what he has done, we're in a much better place to remind ourselves of the last thing. The last part of this is to remember that we can trust his best for us. You can trust his best for you. I can trust his best for me. Look in verse 8. Verse 8. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning, for I trust in you. And since I trust in you, look what is going to be available. Reveal to me the way I should go, because I appeal to you. In other words, I can trust his direction for me. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I can trust him to deliver me. I come to you for protection. I can trust him to protect me. Teach me to do your will. I can trust him for instruction. For you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. I can trust him for his guidance, for his leadership. For your namesake, Lord, let me live in your righteousness. Deliver me from trouble. Preserve my life. Once I remember who God is, and once I remember what he's done, then I can focus on his best for me, and I can trust that. Because I remember who he is. And I remember how he's seen me through time after time. God is all wise, so I know he knows what's best for me. He's all loving, so I know he wants what is best for me. And our God is all powerful, so he's able to accomplish what is best for me. Isaiah, earlier in his book, referred to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Jesus affirmed this truth multiple times, but especially in John 14, 25, when he said, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus said, In me you'll have peace in the world you're going to have trouble. But I have overcome the world. Paul crystallizes this truth for us like this. He says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. We can be open about our need for peace because Jesus knew that we would be searching for it. He's not surprised by our search. He knew we would doubt. He knew we would worry. He knew we would have fears and that at times our anxieties would hold us back. Jesus knew that we would struggle here. So he showed us a better way. Not a way of um, 
free of crazy bad days. Uh, Jesus had his share of those. But a way through these seasons with a humble and a dependent spirit. A spirit of trust that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He shows us a way out of the brokenness in our relationships, in our circumstances, in our dependencies, in our striving. And he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and have a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. It's a familiar verse too. And sometimes when you hear a familiar verse, you don't think about it as much or if, if you're like me. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the truth of that verse. Jesus said, come to me, give me your burden, and I'm going to give you rest. Jesus said two things. Jesus said, I want you, and I want your burden, so that I can give you my peace. Jesus wants to exchange our burdens for his peace. Peace is something that we all need. It's something that we all want. It's something that we all search for, and yet we need to remember it's ultimately only found in one source. I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever. For your Lord God, he is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are grateful, grateful, grateful for your peace that is only found in your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being our Prince of Peace. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for your victory over death and the grave. Thank you for showing us a better way to live. Father, we're grateful for your word. It is life for us, and it shows us how not only to treat others, but it shows us how to pursue you and to find peace that's only found in you, a peace that passes all human comprehension. Father, we acknowledge as your sons and daughters that you are the giver of peace and that true peace is only found in you. So Father, I pray today, if there's someone in this room, if there's someone watching online that has never placed their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins, if they've never found true peace, I pray that today would be the day that they say, God, I want your guidance. I want your help. I want true peace. And so I'm placing my faith in your son, Jesus, because your word says that he wants me and he wants my burden. And God, my burden's real. It's big. So I'm trusting you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me of that sin? And would you flood me with your peace? Father, if there's someone that would pray a prayer like that today, your word says that you will do that. And you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse, of us, cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness and that you'll make us part of your forever family. You'll heal all of our brokenness and unite us to your son, Jesus. So God, as our pastors, ministry directors are here across the front, God, I, I pray that 
that you would um, move in this place, that your spirit would have freedom to move. And then if somebody wants to pray with a pastor, if they want to talk with a pastor about their burden, um, if they want to unite with our church, Father, I pray that today that you give them liberty and freedom to do that. As we stand and as we sing across this room, Father, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.